I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we'll be looking again, picking it up in verse 31 and working our way through the text that we've already read this morning. So we're going to talk about demons this morning. Demons. Not very often used words, are they? Demonic oppression, being demon-possessed, all these different thoughts about the activity and reality of demons. We don't use those words very often. Or at least we use them perhaps even more often than not in a joking way, right? Here in America, we don't nearly so often experience overt demonic encounters and opposition, though we have certainly as Christians in America and here at East LSA Baptist, we've at least heard that there is a real spiritual battle in our lives every day. Amen? You know Ephesians 6, right? So let's just refresh our memory from Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Paul exhorts us there to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He commands us to put on the whole armor of God. Why? that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, though we sometimes think that's where the real battle is, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, over against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul says that's the real enemy, that's the real battle. So be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Make sure, Christian, every day you put on the whole armor of God, as we would, as we'll see later on, which is found in the gospel, because the battle's real. I was talking to one of our missionaries just the other day who serves in an area of the world where there is overt black and white. Never question the source spiritual warfare. It's demonic. And it's clear. The activity of the de- of demons there at work in the lives of unbelievers is obvious. And their families and, and even some outside warfare with evil forces for some of our missionaries, fellow missionaries, one in particular today struggling and has been in a season of several months now struggling with with just spiritual battle going on uh, in, 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 in this person's heart. As I spoke with our missionary, I, I assured our missionary of our prayers. And, and a couple weeks ago, uh, at, a few weeks ago now at our prayer service at the beginning of this month, we prayed for this particular situation. And thank you to those of you who are here and, and prayed with me uh, for our missionary about this particular situation, and, and we prayed in more detail than I'm going to share with you here, but thank, thank you for that. You know, as I talked to our missionary about the situation there on the ground, I told our missionary that here in the American church, it's not that there is no spiritual warfare. That may shock some of us, because when we hear things about demonic activity, demonic possession and oppression, uh, influences demonic work to, 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 to sideline missionaries on the other side of the world. But it's true. It's, it's not that there is no spiritual warfare here. It's simply that the enemy, as I related to our missionary, it's that the enemy, and I, and I ask our missionary to pray for me, to pray for you here as a church, 
Because it's that the enemy here has deceived us as believers so that we see spiritual realities in our world and in our own lives as muted and merged into this gray that eclipses their true black and white nature. By that I mean through less openly evil things or probably most predominantly in my life and yours, through things that are not even evil at all in and of themselves, the enemy and his demons have seen to it that few American church members believe there is any real spiritual warfare to be fought on a daily basis. It's rare the weekday that Ephesians 6 is applied in our lives in a way that we really believe it to be needful. Y'all all right? This is the introduction. They don't experience, we don't, any sort of demonic stuff, no weird and wicked encounters with obvious demonic forces. And so what's to fight, we think? I refer to this work of C.S. Lewis's often, though I have to admit I've never read the full work. I need to. The Screwtape Letters. How many of you have read C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters? I would commend it to at least some perusal. It's a great deal. The, the whole premise of this book written by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters is it's a conversation between a head demon named Screwtape who's talking to his nephew and junior demon Wormwood. Lewis's point is to try to give you and I as believers insight into the way the enemy works, and he does a really good job. So what Screwtape says to Wormwood is intended by Lewis to reveal the tactics of the enemy and his demons in our world. So listen to the conversation as Screwtape talks to Wormwood on this one particular occasion. He says to Wormwood, Wormwood is your, about your work, your demonic work among uh, people in the world, believers in particular, it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, idea of gambling here, being addicted to gambling, if cards can do the trick. Think about that for a second. Demonic nephew Wormwood, if you can keep them distracted with cards, that's, that's better than causing them to commit murder because they'll feel it less. Listen to these words. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Your affectionate uncle... Screw tape. And that's exactly what the enemy has done so well in our world. The enemy has deceived us into thinking that he's really not bothering with us at all. But the deception in the lives of the American, of American church members is far deeper and much more sinister than what is required where our missionary serves in that third world country on the other side of the world. Satan and his demons have mastered the art of sinful distraction and idolatrous priorities to the point that many professing Christians are absolutely no threat at all to the darkness around them because they are too preoccupied with good and in themselves harmless things. But it's our use 
of and our participation in, our priorities made of such things that show us what we truly worship and idolize in our hearts. So let me just ask you a question at the beginning of this message on Jesus and demons. Are we walking a road paved by demons? made soft underfoot so that we never sense our numbness to spiritual realities or the fact that we've been sidelined for years from any real gospel battles into enemy territory. We need to be awake to the battle. It's real. And Satan is absolutely thrilled if you don't think that what I just said is true. But the main point of today's message is this, but we don't need, we do not have to fear defeat if we're awake and fighting in the strength of our Savior. Because you see, our text for this morning that we've already read teaches us this simple truth. The, the title of today's message is this. Jesus rules over demons. He does. And the take-home truth for you and I, the practical application for you and I is this. You and I can live in victory over evil forces and not fear because demons are terrified of Jesus who lives in us by His Spirit. That's the reality of your life and mine. Now, we need the Spirit of God to open our eyes to the reality that we sometimes miss. But here's the application before we even get into the text. You understand, we can see what we don't often see by the power of the Spirit. He will give us eyes to see these distractions, these misplaced priorities, these idols in our lives that numb us to spiritual realities. He will help us see and when we see we don't have to fear, we can overcome. We can live in this America as a different kind of Christian, a different church, alive, with eyes wide open. The text we read earlier is the first miracle that Luke records. We don't believe it's the first miracle Jesus did, but it's the first one Luke chooses to record in his gospel account. It's a miracle of casting out a demon. A demon out of a man, interestingly enough, by the way, in a synagogue, to demonstrate that Jesus has power over the kingdom of darkness. We've already seen Jesus overcome the temptations of Satan himself. Here we see Jesus ruling over demons. I'm borrowing not the title but the, or the main point, but, but the, the points I'm about to preach to you, I'm borrowing them straight from John MacArthur. How's, how's that? I'm just telling you right up front. This is John MacArthur's outline. So if you don't like it, you can go to California and talk to Brother John. Four, uh, four things I want you to see as we think about Jesus ruling over demons. The demons were terrified, notice in verses 31 to 34, of Jesus preaching. The demons were terrified of Jesus preaching. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his, what? Teaching for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Now, we don't know, but perhaps Jesus, as we saw a couple weeks ago, 
was preaching there in the synagogue at Capernaum from Isaiah 61 again, like he had back in Galilee. No doubt, wherever he, his text was taken from that day, he was communicating who he was and why he had come to bring as the Messiah of God the salvation of God. And imagine this, right in the middle of the sermon, a demon-possessed guy jumps up in the middle of church and this demon starts screaming at Jesus, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I don't know about you, but that freaked me out if I'm up here preaching and it happened. Not Jesus. This demon, you see, is scared to death. Jesus wasn't scared. The demon was the one scared, and he's scared to death, and he shrieks out in his terror. This man, and dwelt controlled and tormented by a demon. By the way, this could happen in a local church. Billy Graham said many, 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 many years ago, decades ago, that close to 75% of church attenders, attenders are likely lost and not actual followers of Jesus. Now, demons cannot possess a believer because the house of our hearts is already filled by the Holy Spirit. But the heart of one who does not trust Jesus as their Savior and does not therefore have His Spirit living in their hearts is a wide-open house that can be inhabited by a demon. Could you imagine if that happened one Sunday morning? You see, this demon was terrified of Jesus' preaching. His teaching had power and authority. His words were the very breath of God. Today, demons are still terrified of the gospel of Jesus when we preach it today. Can I, can I, let me, let me, little, little, little side note. The demons aren't scared of you on your own or in your own flesh, standing in your own strength. But armed with the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel, demons are terrified at Jesus preaching. Hear me, the demons are terrified when we speak the gospel into the lives of men, women, boys, and girls. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, then to the Greek. The power of the gospel is like dynamite. And when the demons see you speaking the gospel into a life that they've had enchained, they realize that suddenly the dynamite has been lit and dropped into the middle of this person's life, and that dynamite of the gospel can explode their hard heart and change them and release them from the chains of the enemy and the, and the darkness in which they so long, like we once did, lived. Have the gospel always on your heart and have it often on your lips. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation and for victory over demonic powers. Ephesians 6 tells us we're in a battle. If you believe that's real, then you better arm up. You better suit up. In the armor of God. Don't be strong in, in your own power. What does Paul say? Be strong in the power of His might. How do you do that? You suit up in the gospel. You preach the gospel to yourself every morning. And you talk about the gospel all day. You remind your family about the gospel. You talk to your, your co-workers about the gospel. 
Why? Because it is the power of God and the salvation. It is the sword of the Spirit with which you fight sin in your own life and penetrate the darkness all around us in our world. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul says, He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. Hear me, before I I met Jesus and trusted Him, before God blasted through the hardness and darkness of my own heart, I was in the kingdom of darkness and so were you. But we've been rescued from that kingdom by the Spirit of God, by the gospel of God, and and by Jesus Himself and, and, and brought into the kingdom of his own son, the kingdom of light. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. First John 2 verse 13 says, I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Do you realize that's where you stand? As I tried to encourage our missionary on the other side of the world who, who is trying to help their friend deal with this, this struggle, this what seems not demonic possession, but demonic oppression from the outside. I reminded them of this verse. You have overcome evil one. That's who we are in Christ. We are those who have victory over Satan and his demons. And in fact, 1 John 4, verse 4, this is actually the verse I share with our missionary, says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Talking about evil spirits. Listen, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And I reminded our missionary, Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We have the risen and reigning Christ indwelling us. Please, on my behalf, and and, and just take this truth from 1 John 4 and speak to your missionary co-worker and remind them of the power of Jesus' resurrection in them. Is this how we counsel one another when we see one another struggling? This is how we need to to counsel one another. Standing firm in the preaching of the gospel. The demons were terrified of Jesus' preaching. Is your life saturated by the gospel so that you're protected by His truth and grace and even able to make the demons flee because of your certainty and confidence in the work of Jesus? Or is the gospel just something you're familiar with vaguely? You kind of, you visit it on Sunday when the preacher talks about it or Sunday school teacher mentions it, but it's not something you're arming up with on a daily basis. Let me just tell you something. Demons can't possess believers. But they can wreck your world if you're not walking in the power of His might. The demons were terrified of Jesus' preaching. Secondly, they were terrified of Jesus' person. They scared of him, period. The demons were terrified of Jesus' preaching. They were terrified of, secondly, Jesus' person. Look at verse 34, the third part of it there. I know who you are, the demon says, the Holy One of God. That's good theology. Right out of the mouth of a demon. They got it right. Verse 41, and demons also came out of many. This is why after after Jesus was at at Simon's house, uh, mother-in-law's house there, and and had healed her, and he was healing other people and casting out demons. It says, and demons also came out of many crying. What did they cry when they came out? Same thing the first demon cried. You are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. Only Luke adds this explanatory note in his account of, of this 
this event because they knew that he was the Christ. I mean, we already saw that, right? They just said you were the son of God. Luke spells it out because they knew who he was. At this point, Jesus didn't want all that being made so public. And so he tells them to be quiet. He would not allow them to speak. You see, the demons are terrified of Jesus. The devil and his demons, catch this, the devil and his demons have never been confused about who Jesus is. That's just me and you and unbelievers out there today. They know exactly who he is. They have a good theology of Jesus Christ. They're clear on who he is and why he came. And as we'll see more as we work through, we'll see it more as we work through Luke's gospel together. The demons always correctly identify Jesus for who he is, the Holy One of God, the Son of God, the Savior. And this demon's screaming response, what do you have, what do you have to do with us? You are the Son of God, the Holy One of God is the sheer terror of one who is completely wicked in the presence of the one who is completely perfect and righteous. The demons were terrified of Jesus' person. You know, in James 2 verse 19, James gives a scathing rebuke to those who had a, a great confession of faith. They, they, they could talk the talk of church and Jesus and following Him as, as a believer. Jesus, James says... You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe. And then he adds, and shudder. Implication is, the ones he was talking to didn't even shudder. Are you with me? The demons were closer to the kingdom than these professing believers that James wrote to. And here's what he was saying. Faith without works is dead. If you don't follow Jesus, you don't know Jesus. You may know all about Jesus. And be able to explain the gospel. But if you don't walk in the steps of Jesus, if you're not in obedience to Jesus, Jesus would say, you don't love me. Because if you love me, you what? You what? You keep my commandments. You see, to simply intellectually believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world and to even tremble at that knowledge is not saving faith. It's demonic faith. Unless you trust and obey Jesus, yours is no more than a demon's faith that will send you straight to a devil's hell. Hello. You see, the demons were terrified by Jesus preaching, but the demons were terrified by Jesus' person. James says, and they shuddered. They know all about who he is, and they shudder. Does who Jesus is move us to follow him? What did Jesus say to his first disciples? Come do what? Come know who I am and intellectually assent to, to who I am as the Messiah of God. Is that what they said? Is that what he said? What did he say? Come follow me. My oldest son's testimony is I baptized him when he was a little boy. He went away to college. First two years of college, he lived like hell. His third year of college through the wonderful ministry of campus outreach and the persistence of a, of a young man named Nate Nix over in Delonga, Georgia. 
wouldn't, wouldn't leave my son Nate alone. My son's testimony is, he called me up one night and he said, Dad, he said, I think I got saved tonight. He said, I mean, I know I got saved tonight. He said, but he said, Dad, I'm almost embarrassed. He said, but I just realized I'm, Jesus said, come follow me. And I've never followed him. I've known about him. I believe he died for my sins. But Jesus said, come follow me. And I said, son, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Now just follow him. I wonder if you're here today. We're halfway through the message. I wonder if you're here today. Here's the invitation. Is that you? The demons know about Jesus better than, they understand him better than you do. Are you, are you tracking with me? Do you understand it matters what you do with what you know about the Son of the living God? Are you, sir, are you, ma'am, following him? The demons were terrified of Jesus preaching. They were terrified of his person. But thirdly, they were terrified of Jesus' purpose. Back to verse 34, just before they cried out, I know who you are, you, before that demon cried out, I know who you are, you are the Holy One of God. He says this, have you come to destroy us? What have you do to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? Now you might be wondering why they would ask that question. Jesus hadn't said anything about destroying the demons, had he? Not anything we've read thus far in Luke. I mean, he, 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 he preached in, in, in Galilee from Isaiah 61, said, here, I'm here to set the captives free. That was a veiled reference to what he was going to do to the demons, but he wasn't just clear out and out about it. He just said, I'm the, I'm the Messiah. I'm, I've, come, come, I've come to save and set men free. Why would they ask that question? Well, see, the reason is they knew not only who Jesus was, but also Jesus' purpose toward them before it was all said and done. They knew the truth of 1 John 3, verse 8, that says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, it wasn't going to happen during His first coming to earth. They didn't know when it was going to happen exactly. Looking back, we know. But this destruction of the devil and his demons, hear me, will happen when Jesus comes again. They didn't know exactly when, but they knew the truth of Revelation 20, verses 7 to 10, which you can see on the screen as I read it quickly. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. We're not even going to talk about what those verses mean because I don't really know. I'm just, I've got my opinions, but that's, that's, that's a debate for another day. But here's the, here's the, here's the important verse right here, uh, 9 and 10. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven. Here is Jesus' purpose toward demons and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them, here it is, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The demons were terrified of Jesus' preaching. They were terrified of his person, but they were terrified of his purpose. And that is where demons will end up, along with the great enemy, Satan himself. We serve the victor. 
He rose from the dead. He reigns over all things today. And he'll bring that in its fullness at the end when he casts the devil and all of his enemies into the lake of fire where they will be tormented day and night forever. So when this demon asks this question, have you come to torment us? This is what he was asking about. Is this the time? Is this the day? Are you, who are the Holy One of God, the Son of God, the one who's causing me in the middle of the synagogue service to shriek out this question in terror, are you here to do it today? The demons were terrified of Jesus preaching his person and his purpose. But lastly, the demons were terrified of Jesus' power. Look at verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. What happened? And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him. He did what he was told by Jesus, having done him no harm. Isn't that gracious of of Jesus? Jesus protected that man from being destroyed by this demon. He rebuked the demon and told him to come out, but he didn't let him hurt the guy in the coming out. Verse 41 Back to Simon's house. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. they they got to have permission from Jesus to talk because they knew that he was the Christ. The demons were terrified of Jesus' power. And when he told them to do something, guess what? They did it. Now, to be clear, I'm not Jesus and you're not Jesus. But the demons still today are terrified of Jesus' power. John MacArthur notes here, just check it out. When you think about demon possession, which is what we're reading about here, and demons coming out of people, Jesus casting out demons, telling them to leave the possession of this person's body and person. MacArthur says there's no incantations. There's no manipulations. There's no discussion. There's no prayer. There's no binding. There's... Immediate domination by Jesus. No debate, no formula, no exorcism. Simply absolute power. Jesus rules over demons. And when he says come out, they come out. Demons are still in the world today. And they're working to sidetrack us, to render us ineffective in Christ's kingdom, to keep us so distracted with seemingly harmless things that we are really just sitting on the bench and not actively involved in the advance of Jesus' kingdom at all. But they're also at work on the other side of the world and in places where um, more primitive places, third world countries, and, and their demons still possess people. But it's not through some fancy exorcism that they come out. It is, hear me, through the simple preaching of the gospel. And hear me, the thing that will wake you up as a follower of Jesus to what's going on with, with the enemy's forces all around us to distract us is the preaching of the gospel, is the message of Jesus. His perfect life in your place, His death on the cross for you, His resurrection and His reign His work right today by the Holy Spirit to sanctify and control and make you more like Himself and one day to take you home and glorify you forever. That message is still the power. 
those lost friends and neighbors and family members that you have, they may not be demon-possessed. Don't get me wrong. It's possible in America. Hello. They may not be demon-possessed, but they may be demon-oppressed. What will drive the wickedness from their lives? Not some fancy exorcism, not some super spiritual thing, you ritual we go through. The preaching of the gospel. You explaining the victory of Jesus over sin, hell, and the grave. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You see, we must wake up and obey our king and get back into the battle by taking the gospel into the world, but never forget we can live in victory over evil forces and not fear because demons are terrified of Jesus who lives in us by His Spirit. Jesus rules over demons. So how? How can we be strong in the Lord and the power of His might in the spiritual battle that is raging all around us? I've told you three, four times at least, it has something to do with what? Please don't miss this. Or I'm, I'm going to go home feeling like a total failure as a teacher. How do you win the battle? It has to do with what? Two words. The is the first one. Gospel's the second one. Praise the Lord. Betsy, I'll, I'll be all right this afternoon. And here's where it is in Ephesians 6. Remember we started? Ephesians 6, we read 10 through 12. I'll go listen to 13 to 18. It's on the screen. Look at it. Or look in your Bibles. Therefore, Paul has just said, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because your battle's not with flesh and blood. You think it's about people. You think it's about politics. You think it's about whatever it may be at work with, with your boss. No, it's not. It's a spiritual battle. Therefore, what do you do? Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. How do you do it? Stand firm, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, gospel truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The gospel tells you that you are righteous in Jesus. That when God sees you, he sees you just as righteous as he sees Jesus. Put that breastplate, cover your heart and all your vitals with that truth tomorrow morning when the enemy would accuse. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I was walking somewhere the other day barefooted and I wished I had shoes on. It hurt my feet. It was rocky, right? I mean, does this, this image make sense to you? When you've got the right shoes on, you can go places, right? My favorite pair of shoes, if, if, I, if I've got to pick my shoes, if, 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 I need, if I need shoes to get me through whatever, i got one go-to pair, a pair of, Andy, a pair of Oboe's hiking boots. If i got those puppies on, I am bulletproof, baby. I can go anywhere. They might get wet, water might get them, don't matter, they'll dry. Right, Andy? I'm good to go in Oboe's boots. My feet are shod with a readiness for walking. Paul says you need to put on the right shoes. As you walk through this life, the readiness given by the gospel of peace, if you understand, hear me, 
If you understand that there is absolute eternal peace today and forever between you and holy God because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. That's solid. Those shoes will walk. You can face a lot of things in life. You can, you, you, you can let stuff roll off that you wouldn't, couldn't let roll off before because you know all is well with your soul before holy God. There's peace with Him. So put your shoes on tomorrow morning. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Uh, Paul says, believe what you know about Jesus. Believe what you know about the... We sang it, Joe. Victory in Jesus. Believe it. Every morning, get up and believe it again. And when that dart of, of doubt or accusation flies your way, hold up the shield of faith. Say, no, that's not true. Jesus said, this is true. Jesus says there's victory in him. And take the helmet of salvation. Cover your head. The command center of everything. Cover your head with the helmet of salvation. What, what does that mean? It, I, I don't know. It's got something to do with Romans 12, 1 and 2, doesn't it? Be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. Soak your brain in the gospel. Make sure that what your mind soaks in and, and pro how it processes life is done through the gospel. What controls your thinking? Listen to what I'm telling you. None of what we're talking about can be done without this book. And especially this one. How do you transform your mind, transform your life by the renewing of your mind? You've got to be in this book. And the only offensive weapon in the whole list, take and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And specifically in, in the New Testament, when that's referred to, it's talking about the whole of Scripture, yes, but it's specifically talking about the what? The gospel. The message of Jesus. But don't forget verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So the picture is of a, of a warrior going into battle every morning. He suits up in this, this wonderful defensive armor of the gospel, but he takes up the, the sword that that gospel is. The gospel protects, but the, but the gospel also is is the offensive weapon. It is, it is how you fight the enemy, even the enemy within, your own flesh. But he's a soldier that stays in constant communication with headquarters. His commanding officer. He is on the horn from the battlefield with God himself through prayer. You see, we treat prayer like a genie in the bottle wish, don't we? Hello, y'all all right? I mean, we do. When things get bad, we pray. Why? Because we need, we need the genie to pop into our lives and do something for us and fix it. We're not living in this wartime mentality where we're fighting a battle every day within and without. Clothing the gospel, holding the gospel as our sword 
getting instructions from and, 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 and relying, calling for backup, calling for air support from our God and our commander. Because you see, if we, we treat prayer like that, then, then we... I've watched enough Special Forces movies. I don't know anything. I'm not, I'm not, I've never been in the military. But I know enough. They come. I mean, they they got to keep in contact, don't they? We've got, we spend millions on communication devices for our soldiers so that they can always be in contact with those that can see out ahead of them and know what's coming and keep them safe and warn them and, and, and show them how to plan an attack and, 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 and strategize for the most effectiveness. Why do we think as Christians we don't, we, don't, we don't need prayer? We don't need to talk to God. We don't need to call for air support. Why do we think that sometimes we can just leave the sword of the Spirit laying down, not even put on the armor of God and run out into the battle naked? Our weapons are prayer, the Spirit's indwelling power in the Word of God. We can live in victory over evil forces and not fear. Because demons are terrified of Jesus who lives in us by His Spirit. Probably my favorite hymn was written in the 1500s by Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I think it's the last verse. It says this, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. Revelation 20. One little word shall fail him. If you don't understand that old English, what it means is it'll cut him down and damn him for eternity. We can live in victory over evil forces and not fear because demons are terrified of Jesus who lives in us by His Spirit. Jesus rules over demons. He's given you prayer, His Word, and the Gospel. To arm you for battle. Be awake to the fight. Wake up every day and realize you're not on vacation spiritually. It's a battle. Put his armor on. Clothe your heart and mind in the gospel. Stand on the solid ground of the peace with God that you have through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And take that message and wield it as the sword of the Spirit, all the while praying in the Spirit, asking God for direction and power and and leading and guidance to overcome sin in your own life and to, to penetrate the darkness with the gospel. We can live in victory over demonic forces and not fear because demons are terrified of Jesus who lives in us by His Spirit.